Good morning and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. My name's Ben Clover and st- I'm standing in for Annabelle Collins this week. Uh, let me introduce my two guests I'll be having on the podcast this week, uh, Matt Discombe and Emily Townsend. So it's been a, already a big week uh, for the NHS, another round of strikes. Um, and this week we are going to go through a couple of stories the HSJ has reported uh, in some depth. Uh, first of all, uh, Matt is going to talk us through uh, an interview he did with the new executive director of urgent emergency care, something that was in the uh, in the national news, kind of leapt from being a, a specialist health issue to being a, a general news story of some importance uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, and Emily's going to talk us through um, some some developments in the mental health world, which again is set to have uh, quite a high profile uh, this week. So first off, uh, we're going to go to UEC uh, and Matt. How was your your interview with Sarah Jane Marsh? Well, it's, it's a is a really uh, fascinating chat, and the, uh, the 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 context of um, the the interview we did was in the wake of the urgent um, um, care recovery plan, which was published by NHSE and the department um, last week. And yeah, we just wanted to hear a bit more kind of detail about how things are going to work, and you know how. I suppose the performance management of it all is is gonna is gonna work. Um, we heard a bit about the um, the new kind of um, tiers of intervention, um, which um, trusts and uh, systems, I should say, sorry, are going to be um, placed into, um, you know, according to their. Um, operational performance in terms of urgent care um i think that the, the, mo- the most struggling uh, systems will be given you know a lot more kind of hands-on leadership um help from the nhse or at least um that's the plan um so yeah we we, we asked um uh, sergey marsh who um just to um just for people who don't know, is the um, national director uh, for um, urgent and emergency care for um, NHS England. She uh, used to run Birmingham Women's and Children's Foundation Trust. Um, and yeah, we 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 asked about um, just how you know NHS are going to kind of work through some of the priorities in in the plan. Um, now. Um, People who have, have read HSJ will hopefully know that the um, there's a bit more focus now on the four hours target for A and E. Um, so the uh, the ask uh, for trust is to see 76% of patients uh, within four hours by uh, the end of March next year. And you know, given where um, the performance statistics are at the moment, that's a bit of a tough ask. Um, and we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but um yeah we, we asked about you know the the kind of return of the um the four hours target as a as an operational um supposed priority and um i think i think what we really took was as in as interesting was that she said um that um you know she said a few you know quite quite a few nhs leaders have said that they quite like to get in her words into some back into some of the rigor around um four hours and other urgent and emergency care performance uh, metrics um now that, that, and, that, and that's quite interesting i think because um you know people like you know royal college of emergency medicine have been calling for this for some time you know this this idea of having um what has been termed you know operational grip um on on a problem and and a you know a, a, a set framework for what you know good looks like and now people know 
what to aim for and, and what um uh yeah what what they what, what they should be kind of aiming for but um and and by when and hopefully you know the the idea is that will focus minds and and you know drive uh, performance um improvements um also um a, a really interesting uh, thing we we spoke about was this new these new discharge metrics so um again for people who don't know um the uh, the main um discharge uh, performance statistics uh generally look at just basically count the number of patients in a hospital in a day who no longer you know meet the criteria to reside in hospital i.e they're ready um to be discharged but they're not because of a variety of reasons you um may um often due to social shortages in social care but also for for other reasons too um now um while she said that 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 figure is useful um nhse are going to be um by winter uh looking at another uh new metric which looks at you know which measures um the the time spent between a patient becoming ready for discharge and for them actually leaving hospital so i believe that'll be counting the number of days um which will be a which she says will be a lot more of a useful measure to kind of drive uh, performance improvements because um you could see how long people are waiting rather than just counting the number of people who are who are uh waiting um so th- th- those were the two really interesting thing for us um she, she also spoke about um you know intermediate care being a massive opportunity um to to to, Im- to improve and to to give people you know kind of alternatives um um uh, well and so uh, this is uh, after they yeah. after they've been admitted but yes yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. discharged yeah so, yeah so so it's, so it's after so it's after the after they've been discharged more more uh more op- options in the community she says there's a big opportunity uh big opportunity there um and you know um so as she gave a few examples of that um i think i think and as she also talked about you know 111 and how they still believe in 111 but they're trying still trying to work out how best to utilize that um so i think i think that gives you a bit of a whistle top of the yeah the the interview yeah yeah i think i think it's important to stress that kind of even though these are performance measures right so it can feel a bit abstract sometimes to read it's kind of like it's well remarked on the kind of like what gets measured gets gets done basically that that was the focus and i think it's been it's i've certainly heard enough people say that kind of for a long time the four-hour target so this is a target introduced by new labor um, kind of decade before last, uh, that 95% of people should be seen within four hours. Um, but what, that target was on death row for some time, like for quite a long time. People were going like, oh, no, it's definitely going to be scrapped. Uh, it's going to be scrapped. It drives some bad, uh, some suboptimal behaviours, i.e. lots of people get admitted at three minutes, f- three hours, 58, you know. Um, but the lost system leaders also said, you know, it is one number that shows how, basically how effective flow is through a whole system and that um that once you put it out there into the management community that um that oh yeah it's not going to be it's not going to be in particularly enforced it's it's on its way out as a target then maybe people do um de-emphasize it i wondered if that's part of what she what she meant with the uh, we're looking at the rigor, e- even if it is on 76%, even if it was on like 20% lower than than it used to be, to kind of go like, we are going to start performance managing people on it again. Was that the sense that you got? 
that 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 that, that was uh, I th- I think I think the sense they that, that they got uh, that I got sorry um and um I, th- I think um I think what she's driving at she was driving at was um that there's going to be a bit more kind of clarity about what um what is going to be asked of, of of people from uh from from the um, urgent and you know emergency care performance and and and, and you're right I, th- I think um you know with um things like the clinical review standards which um was proposing to replace a four hours target with a number of different metrics that's been um that's a little bit on the back burner now and the and the and the, you know we've got a new we've had well, we've had several new governments since that trial started and and now um the new government is really you know prioritizing um you know four hours as um a, a very clear um metric which they want to kind of get back to um just just in and just in regards to, to four hours you, i mean you, you mentioned you, you kind of touched upon some of the um the issues with that um now I think I think many um, people in emergency care would agree with the fact that you know in in some instances it does drive you know adverse you know um, I think it's called um, target related flow. Someone out there will <laughs> um, correct the the terminology there, but but uh, but it, it it is associated with that. Um, but others. Um, uh, would, would would say it's it's just a bit a bit more of a clearer target. It's a, it's it's you know it's it's clear what is being expected of us. Um, whereas you know there's there there, there was a bit of a lack of um, uh, that focus maybe um, whilst this this uh, this clinical review of standards was going on and you know we had you know 10 i think 10 off the top of my head 10 targets maybe uh, might be up to a dozen I can't quite remember now, um, but um, you know, having having that many targets means that it's hard to really know what the priority really is. Um, I think is the I think is is a criticism. Whereas like four hours now, it's it's a lot more it's a lot more clear. And I think I think that's what uh, I think that's what she was kind of Dry. referring to there. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. There's going to be a, a new discharge target because I remember there always mm. was uh, the detox, the delayed transfers of care figures, and those were sort of famously kind of unreliable but they were supposed to measure sort of the the flow out outbound of hospitals of people who maybe didn't need to be there um i think it was former nhs england chief executive uh Sir david nookson who who said quite recently well, like the detox figures were just a way of blaming <laughs> social care for for problems because i thought one of the things that was interesting about this issue over the past maybe six months is is sort of uh, social care being a thing that affects or the lack of social care being a thing that affects NHS effectiveness um, seems to become it seems to have been an issue that like the mainstream news and sort of the public at uh, the wide public seem to understand in a way that they don't they didn't previously and I've always been interested to kind of speak to no one's ever been able to give me a figure for it but to kind of go all right so of the problem of delayed discharges of super stranded patients uh, of wh- whatever you want to call them kind of how much is uh local authorities with their uh, slash budgets for putting people in care homes or putting uh putting you know the grab rails in people's houses and that. how much of it is that and how much of it is um stuff the hospital can sort out i.e we really should try and see everyone to assess whether they can be discharged by noon you know mm. I, I know the people that do that have a lot tougher things on but kind of like you know how much of it is our own pharmacy processes about you know making sure people have their medication so as they can go home and, and how much of it is like our 
patient transport issues. Can I, I don't know. I've, I've heard people give different estimates of that, but it's definitely not something that's not an NHS problem at all, is it? It's definitely like a, a reasonable part of it is NHS, something, you know, NHS. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's very interesting. And, and um, it's funny you mentioned that because we are um, going to be uh, publishing a story, hopefully very soon, on the um, on the reasons uh, for discharge and, the, and some of the, da- the, da- the data around that. Um, and uh, what we found is, whichever way you, you, you cut it, um, that there there are a number of you know a, a good proportion of delays which are um, you know seem to be within the NHS's control. And the um, the NHS England actually have admitted this before in the past um, by um, by by saying that you know there are a significant proportion of uh, delayed discharges are within the NHS's gift to solve. Now, even in our um, you know data analysis that we've done. Um, you know, social care is the biggest uh, part of it. And um, I, I mean, a, a, big, a big reason, for example, um, is, um, you know, delays into um, getting a community care rehab bed. But, you know, from what we've been told that, you know, there's delays for getting a community rehab bed because there's delays in getting these beds empty because of, you know, so um, social care shortages again. So um, we shouldn't, Underest- of, of course underestimate the influence of the social care issues here but but you know NHS uh, again like NHS England and um and um have admitted this and our data um has uh, demonstrated that um you know a significant uh, proportion are uh, within the NHS's gift to solve um in in the old uh, data on detox before um the 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 the, the pandemic uh, before the pandemic happened um that they, they did actually um, split the responsibility from, you know, NHS to social care in terms of like who's responsible for each um, delay, um, which isn't happening now. But it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a hard one to kind of um, kind of split up um, exactly, I suppose. Um, yeah, maybe there's not the resource yeah. now to have an adversarial mm-hmm. system where they go, well, this one is is your fault. You know, kind of I know people want to get a sense of where where accountability lies but quite often when you've got a super constrained system anyway it's not always helpful to be like and by the way this is going on your figures not on not on ours no thanks for taking us through that and just because it's um there's kind of weekly data on some aspects of the emergency care system but also the monthly the monthlies are due uh this week matt i wondered if you got a sense of like where we were for urgent emergency care at the moment sort of like on on the fundamentals because you know we can have all the targets we want but fundamentally there's only a certain amount of people doing the work and a certain amount of stuff coming in i just wondered how it looked overall um so we are starting from a very low base i'm afraid in terms of uh, emergency care performance um so yeah december in many respects was the worst on record with you know um you know long waits with um response times for for, for ambulances uh for four hours there's you know there's 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 exam there's there's numerous ex- examples of you know the worst um performance on record and you know um since then um there seems to you know i'm not i'm I'm not expecting you know a huge improvement given that you know we are still in the middle of winter and lots of places under pressure um but i mean there there are signs of hope i suppose in the um in the 
ambulance handover statistics which are in some uh, respects very very well down um and also there's there's factors such as you know the 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 flu wave seems to be dissipating um um and uh, and a covid um wave um which was uh, obviously towards the end of last year um not where not where it was um so i think um we should hopefully i mean you know this is my just just my just my hunch maybe maybe it would it won't be as bad as december but still fairly bad um uh, um and it'll be really interesting to see if any more trusts are actually hitting this 76% targets already i mean we we uh, as we covered last month um only three trusts were were meeting this this target and this for all, for all patients not just type 1 not just type 1 blimey not just type 1 it's, it's for uh, so so you know so 70 yeah 76% of all patients must be seen within 4 hours um only three trusts were meeting that last month it'd be interesting to see whether that's that's moved at all um and, and the national target is to month. is for the overall national number to hit 76 by hmm. Not this much. Next, next March. Next, by, March by next March, yeah, by the end of twenty three, twenty four. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's more to stress, like, like kind of, even though the sun is out here in here in London where I'm recording, kind of, um, cold snaps still happen. Like, so we've had like really bad sometimes Februarys and Marches before on um, uh, on a, on the UEC. So yeah, it's not over yet. I'm sure. I'm no. sure listeners on the front line will, will, will know that brilliant thank you matt um quite a big uh, part of the of the urgent emergency care world is sort of the interface with uh with mental health um and uh with the police um and there's been some national news on this recently with a, a police commissioner in bedfordshire saying uh, the amount of work the uh, his force were expected to do for free by the NHS. So I'm not across the details on this one. Uh, was it was unsustainable? So kind of kind of the interaction between police and and the NHS um, uh, is something that has been in news recently. And, and uh, Emily, you've been you've been writing about one aspect of this recently. Could you take us through it? Yeah. So essentially, this this story is about a care model that was rolled out. Um, it started quite a few years ago, actually. It was uh, kind of the brainchild of a police officer in in Hampshire, and essentially, it's it's a model that was very controversial because there was hardly any evidence base for it and um, wasn't really kind of tested properly. And yet, I think it was just over tw- like twenty trusts employed it in in various kind of fashion so essentially what the, the kind of core element of it's called serenity integrated mentoring um so essentially it is you have a police officer a lot of the time that will be placed within a healthcare team and they will kind of be charged with supporting patients so they will sometimes sit in on therapy sessions but also kind of create crisis plans etc and this group of patients is often people that are frequently in touch with emergency services so multiple calls um, to police or to ambulance services um, and essentially this model puts a police officer within the healthcare team so working with NHS professionals and last I think it's 2021 um, there was kind of a whirlwind of concerns that was was brought to NHS England's National Clinical Director for Mental Health Tim Kendall essentially um, it was called uh, the group called Stop Sim so Sim is the breathing well is the acronym for um, Serenity Integrated Mentoring and essentially they had a, a, a 
range of concerns so particularly in terms of the police involvement and because there were cases where kind of criminal sanctions so community treatment orders were considered um sometimes there are aspects of you know withholding care um and also kind of discriminatory approaches towards people who express kind of self-harm behaviors so for instance words like and phrases like threatening suicide that kind of thing and inappropriate um repeated calls to a and e so it's essentially kind of you know being quite discriminatory towards their behavior and it's kind of discrediting their illness essentially that was the kind of campaign's view and so they had these range of concerns they then raised them with um professor kendall who then instigated an investigation he asked to be reported at the time that he asked all trust to suspend the use of the models and to then send him to submit reviews to nhse's team who would then look over some of the elements and we reported last year that um we there were various kind of trusts that did use police officers within the healthcare team and they said that sometimes that the police's role was kind of blurred and there wasn't really like you know that perhaps they were too involved in therapy and sometimes they but you know some of them even said that you know they could see how it would be perceived as coercive in terms of an approach so there was a range and some were very positive and said look actually it's saving us a lot of money um so essentially um this story that we reported this week is that there is there's supposed to be a national statement on this and we've been waiting for it for quite a long time. The reviews have been submitted. They were, we were reported on them last year and now there's supposed to be a national position statement. So essentially, it's my understanding that it's undergoing various kind of um, they have to kind of finalise the statement and that kind of thing. But what we have, have managed to get is we've obtained a kind of draft position statement, which kind of sets out the headline kind of things that they want to eliminate from clinical practice so this isn't the final versions NHSE has said to us so things may change um, but it kind of gives us a sense of what NHSE's position is on this model and what could happen go, going forward. So essentially there's three things that they've said that um, you know should be eradicated from clinical practice, which includes the police involvement in therapy, um, particularly in community mental health care, the use of coercion sanctions, including criminal sanctions um, and withholding care, and also discriminatory discriminatory practices and attitudes towards um, patients who express self-harm behaviours etc so you know there there are three elements there that were very controversial and they were the ones that had the most concern about them so essentially we've we've reported on this um there is due to be some tweaks made but we're expecting a public announcement which will basically be a new policy on serenity integrated mentoring whether these approaches should be used within the NHS we know that Professor Kendall has essentially asked trusts not to use similar models and um, that they don't support the use of them um, but obviously we will have to kind of wait and see for the kind of finer detail in terms of what trusts will be asked to do um, we also know that there have been there are a couple um, that are still using models for high intensity users but they insist that they do not include those kind of three concerning areas and they also say that, that you know it's widely supported so it kind of remains to be seen whether those will continue to be used um, but it's kind of up to NHSE when they release this kind of final stance. Gotcha and this sort of model you said is sort of spread kind of ad hoc trust by trust from from Hampshire um, and like, I guess I can see that there'd be, you know, there'll be a team of people 
from in and outside the NHS that will come into contact with service users like in this uh, who might be in crisis or might be like you say frequent users of of services and like and, and on paper you could see how how maybe it would make sense to have um, kind of better integration there and that um, you know it, it might make everyone more effective in, in helping people in this position but then on the other hand yeah you can I, I, it sounds like the arguments against were this this it can be threatening I guess some people can feel like like the the process as medicine as therapy might be impacted by having someone uh, like in uniform there well in, like a, a police officer there who yeah you might not always have a great relationship with okay no, that's that's really interesting thanks for taking us through it it's it's a there's going to be quite a lot of mental health news coming down the line generally this week as i understand it we're, we're looking at a report from the from the auditors yeah, so there's an embargoed report which will be lifted by the time this podcast goes out. Essentially, um, for a long time now, obviously, we've known that mental health is experiencing record demands. Obviously, during the pandemic, there's a really big increase, and the number of people in contact with mental health services um, has increased from sort of 3.6 million to 4.5 million between 2016 and 2022. So there's a huge kind of increase in in needs, um, but there hasn't been, as the NAO report essentially says is that there hasn't been an equivalent rise in in staff um, even though the mental health workforce has increased by 22 percent um, in those years it hasn't matched the level of demand and also there's been issues with of staff retention which obviously is the case across the NHS um, but you know you've got shortages of specific kind of areas so you know medical and nursing staff psychologists um, and you also have kind of high turnover as well. So you've got issues there and you also have a funding problem, um, which although they, you know, they are raising it, they're not raising it enough. So um, the percentage of kind of local funding spent on mental health services went up um, from 11% to 11.4% in those in those five years. So it's not been, it's kind of very marginal rise in terms of that funding. So essentially, um, that's going to be in the spotlights. Um, there's also been issues with obviously access. So when you have that increase in demand and you don't have the funding and you don't have the staff, you then have, you know, with eating disorder services and particularly you've got the target that is available for that is children and young people. Um, and, you know, just 68% of young people who are urgently referred um, and they're supposed to be seen within a week. And um, that's against the standard of 95%, is only 68% um, in the last, well, the last quarter that's available, which is April to June last year. So essentially, you've got lots of people, although there are a couple of targets that have been met. Obviously, in mental health services, you don't have many targets um, because they're, they're quite ad hoc in terms of the, we're still waiting on a clinical review of standards for mental health waiting times. Um, but, you know, it, you get a sense that, there aren't enough staff there's not enough funding for people to access these services and and it, you know it's, it's projected to kind of get get worse we've also had um a piece on our, our website from saffron cordery um about children's mental health because it's children's mental health week and there's some kind of worrying um you know findings of her latest survey which was essentially that 88% of mental health and learning disability leaders um, and 97% of combined mental health community leaders essentially said, you know, that they will not have, they're really worried about their capacity to meet demand. Um, they don't feel 
particularly with kind of children's services and you've also got this issue with autism diagnosis and autism services because it's kind of one of those ones that's you know it's obviously not removed from their NHS services but there's also an interface with social care there as well um, and we've I'm sure that listeners will have heard of you know, very long kind of neurodevelopmental pathway waits and we reported last year about very big backlogs on that sense and to me it kind of seems like there's a obviously rightly there's a focus on acute and urgent emergency care but it doesn't seem like there's the equivalent kind of you know focus and funding and you know parity essentially for mental health services. Gotcha no that's parity's long been an issue in, in mental health services and kind of um, I was interested in the numbers you mentioned there just about the increase in demand so uh, you mentioned like the increase. It's about it's two. I'm not sure if you said it was 2.3, but it's about 2.3, which which is about 10% sort of increase overall for sort of England's mental health budget. But the actual, but the increase in demand has been significantly uh, higher than that, like uh, more like 18, 20%. Um, I know it will vary between different um, between different groups. Um, and I was, I was just interested because quite often, like the the national reporting of issues like this uh it will include someone from the government kind of going well our numbers are up 22 percent but of course that doesn't include the turnover which like is more significant in in mental health services than even in the rest of the nhs which is which is saying something um but i just wanted do you do you know kind of you, you mentioned it's um psychology psychologists and uh nursing staff are there are there particular sort of drivers for that does that lead to a lot of like agency use or yeah so in mental health services agency use is, is significantly more even than in acute services um and i think essentially mental health nursing i think there was a report last year um that you know that there there aren't enough mental health nurses and it it's always been a struggle but i think particularly the overuse of agency has been a real problem particularly in the last few years um and i, I also think that you've got kind of added complexity of, of cases as well which is kind of really taking its toll so um essentially you've got you've also got at the moment we've had this national inpatient review that's been launched um so essentially that's going to be very data driven but that is you know this, this huge scrutiny on the sector in terms of quality and i think a lot of the time it's it's a case of you know you, the mental health nurses will be trained but then they won't necessarily go on um, to become mental health nurses and they will then instead go into acute hospitals and so i think there's there's a lot of things there at play i think you've got the pandemic that's played a part but i do you think that a lot of the time it's you'll be in environments where they're short staffing you're dealing with very complex patients very ill patients um, and a lot of the time it can feel really difficult um to actually and then obviously you're then under this intense scrutiny of, of reviews and it's a very difficult job to do and i think it's not necessarily in terms of like university applications and stuff like that it's not necessarily that people don't want to go into it i think it's more that when they um are trained and when they kind of go on and do their their placements and stuff they realize that actually perhaps it's not the environment they want to go in and there's been a lot of effort obviously they have managed to recruit a lot of people but it's kind of as you say it's the retention side of things when they actually get there then they leave um, and then you've got gaps there and obviously that then doesn't help for the people coming in because then they feel like they're working in an environment where they've got very short staff situations. Yeah so. which adds stress to it and also if you kind of if you arrive somewhere and you go oh yeah 
that people are already leaving here en masse. It doesn't fill you with fill your confidence. Is it the same sort of issues with with psychologists, or or, or is that a different picture? So I, I think essentially with psychologists, I think um, it's slightly different. I'm not too kind of not too um, sure on the detail on this. I think this is something that's been sort of acknowledged by the NAO report specifically. So I have to look into that in a little bit more detail. Um, I hadn't heard of kind of a you know severe kind of shortage in that area. So I wouldn't want to kind of say I know all about it. <laughs> um, but in terms of the mental nurses um, and, and medical staff, I think I think we know the reasons for that. But in terms of psychologists, I'm not too sure. So I wouldn't want to kind of say I know everything about it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, thanks. Thanks so much for the overview. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks for that, guys. I feel I've got a really good picture of, of two really key parts uh, of a service and how they interact with other bits of the also uh, severely denuded uh, public sector. Um, so brilliant. Um, thanks very much for listening. Uh, HSJ Health Check Podcast is back next week. Um, you can subscribe at various services or we're available at uh, lots of places wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I've been Ben Clover and we'll see you um, next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.